was kind of ominous through a strange series of events. He went and planted a church, and I became the lead pastor. Super ominous. I mean, a strange series of events could have been anything. Uh, it was a good thing, I think. Um, I love being back here with you guys. You guys. Some of you guys are like, I've seen enough of you, man. This was like three hours yesterday. Um, we had a joke yesterday because it, it was my birthday. I tried to keep it quiet, but Facebook, it doesn't let you keep it quiet. Uh, I tried for Jared not to know that it was, and then he because I knew he'd blow it up, and he did blow it up. Um, I re- it was, it's kind of known to people around me that I'd rather be at home just eating cereal in my PJs on my birthday with nobody around, with milk dripping down my chin, watching soccer. But if if I had to have a second place, it would have been with you guys. Um, we love we love seeing you guys. We love reconnecting. We have an amazing time every time we're here. Just and sets up 45 uh, coffee dates in the period of an hour, uh, and I try to go back to the hotel. So that's, it's a, it's a beautiful time. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if you guys know this, but me and Jim are still, we're, we're in deep relationships. So next to my wife, he's the guy I talk to on the phone the most, which is maybe awkward for him. Um, we travel together. We, we study uh, how to plant churches together, how to multiply disciples together. Um, and, and I'm always impressed with your, with your pastor's heart. Um, some of you guys know it, it, do, it doesn't really matter what is produced on the outsides. Jesus, Jesus cares about what's on the insides. Uh, what's on the insides of your pastor is, is good. Uh, what's, what's in the heart of your pastor for this church, for this place, uh, is good. And that's what matters. And so I'm always impressed with that. Uh, I want to talk this morning about this moment that, Every parent has felt at some point, it's like an atom bomb to your child. uh, Because your child has this high anticipation for this gift that they're going to get. So what happens is they ask you for it on like a Tuesday. You're like, it's Tuesday. I'm not taking you to Target and spending $100. Why are you asking for it on a random Tuesday? You need to wait until your birthday. Plus, for some reason, whenever you go to Target, you, you go for a bag of coffee and you still end up spending $100. So I'm not going to target for you. You can wait till your birthday. Or you can wait till Christmas to get this gift. And so there's high anticipation for this gift. I'm going to use this toy as an example because I didn't really have many physical toys. My kids are kind of growing out of toys. I'll use this as an example just for a physical representation. It's a really annoying toy. Um, it makes, I don't even like cats, and it makes cat noises as a piano. Like This is not something that parents buy for their kids. This is something that an ignorant aunt or uncle is like, hey, this is for my niece. And you're like, do you hate my mornings? Like, do you just want my mornings for 365 days to be ruined? You pick whatever toy you're thinking of, whatever toy your kid had wanted for years or for months, whatever. Wrap that in your mind, and it's the moment where they're, opening this gift, they're opening this toy, there's, again, high anticipation. You have now supplanted Superman or Wonder Woman in their mind. You are the author of shallow materialism, of fleeting happiness. You did it, parent, and you're like, yes, I'm the one today. I'm the, I'm the hero today. And they open it, and they rip it open, and they open the box, uh, and the box says, batteries not included. Needs batteries. They're, they're flicking the stupid piano thing, and they're like, nothing's happening. 
there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the days, it needs five 4C batteries, and you're like, where do I even get 4C batteries? I'm not going to, and so everyone's upset. And the point is, this toy, this thing, whatever it is, was engineered, it was architected, it was designed with an intentional need, with an intentional void. It's on purpose. When they got into a big boardroom and they're like, how are we going to create this toy? It was a very intentional design that there is a void that needs to be filled with batteries. It needs batteries. It's not a mistake. Like in that moment when there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, you would think this is a mistake, that this is not included, but it's very much designed into the toy. This, this is very much complete with this void on hand. So I want to take you back to creation. We're going to be in Genesis 1 and 2 today, if you're curious, if you have your Bibles with you. I want to take you back to creation. There's so much to learn in creation. There's so much to learn in our origins. If you haven't read Genesis 1 through 3 in a while, read it. Spend time with Jesus and read about who our Creator is, how He created us, what it means for marriage, what it means for relationships, uh, what it means for His bigness, for His glory. Read, read about, uh, or read through Genesis uh, 1 through 3. But, but I want to show you in Genesis 1 through 3 how we are designed with a need. It's on purpose. The Creator created creation with this intentional design where there's a void, and if we don't fill it, there's a problem. And He's very clear throughout Genesis 1 through 2. Uh, and we're going to get into this sermon here, but I want to pray first. Uh, t- before we get there, would you just look at a neighbor and tell him, I got needs. Tell him, God put him there. Put a little head nod in the God put him there. And if you're married and it's to your spouse, make sure there's no baggage behind that as you say that. Just, there was a big head nod on that one. <laughs> the wife was like, okay, that's a lot of head nod. Just bring it down. Uh, Pray with me as we enter a message entitled, Needs Batteries. Uh, Jesus, we ask that you would be present this morning. We come around your word. Uh, We're a family together in Christ. Um, There's already been a family atmosphere so far this morning. And so we come around the table together, the table of communion, where your bread of life is going to breathe life into us, where you're going to teach us what we need uh, for life and godliness to live a life that chases after you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're going to be in the first two chapters of Genesis today. If you are new to the Bible and you're trying to figure out where to turn, just open that thing up and take a left and just keep going left. It's like NASCAR. Just keep going left. You'll hit big number one and big number two. That's Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters. And these are are the creation account singular. I emphasize singular Because if you weren't there yesterday, if you don't understand the literary form of these two chapters, there are different literary forms. The first chapter is different than the second chapter. And I I tell you that because if you read chapters 1 and 2 in sequence, you're like, is one different than the other? What was actually created first? Was humanity created first? Were dogs created first? Was sun created first? what, What is actually most important? Are they different creation accounts? Uh, the, the point is they are actually the same creation account from a different view. So chapter 1 is actually uh, a broad view, a step-back view, a uh, uh, 30,000-square-foot view. It's, it's majestic. Uh, it's, it's, it's poetic in cadence. 
Uh, that, that, that's how you know this is a poetic narrative. Uh, God has given you a poetic narrative in Genesis 1. And some want to argue, no, this is a seven-day literal work week, and it's historical, literal. And you're welcome to argue that. And uh, you can e- actually send me an email. It's jim at jroadchurch. That's jroadchurch.com. Make sure you spell that out correctly. Send it on Monday. I'll get right to it. Praise God for my diligence. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is a step-back, poetic, cadence view of creation. It's, it's majestic. Genesis 2 is going to be more historical, literal. It's going to go into the details of the crown of creation. And if you don't know, you are the crown of creation. God created creation to be in deep relationship with you. This whole thing was about giving you dominion, being in deep relationship with you. And, and, and this is this is what this is for. So that's Genesis 1 and 2. One gives us a view, the other gives us perspective. How many of there's a difference between view and perspective? Sometimes you need perspective before you speak your mind about your view, but that's another sermon for another time. It's kind of like, so I used to, when I left here, we, we worked outside of New York City. We planted a church right outside of New York City. This is our view of, of New York City. This was this was our porch. That's, that's it. There it is. Uh, it's majestic, right? It's beautiful. It costs a lot of money, this view, by the way. Uh, it, but it's, it's beautiful. Good thing my wife was a nurse. It's beautiful view right here. Okay, you, you, I sat on the porch in there early in the morning as the sun was rising and there wasn't a bunch of helicopters going back and forth. There was this hum over the city. There was this majestic nature about it. it, it it's almost peaceful. Right? It's, it's lying to you, but here it's like, oh, this is peaceful. And you're looking at it, and you're like, this is, this is beautiful. And then we actually had an office somewhere around here, a couple blocks from World Trade Center 1. And so uh, I would get on a train. It'd be two stops from Grove Street, three, three stops from Journal Square, which, whichever one I went from. And I would come up in the bowels of World Trade Center 1. Jim has taken this trip with me before. And here's, here's coming up in the bowels of World Trade Center 1. It's kind of cool uh, as, as this picture arrives as I slow down my language. There it is. So this is what World Trade Center... So it's, it's already chaos. I'm not even in New York City, really. We're in the bowels of a building, and it's already chaos. Like minnows sprinting in the same direction. Nobody looking at each other. Nobody making eye contact. If you make eye contact or smell someone's breath, it's really weird. Uh, even though we're all packed like sardines... Do not make eye contact. Do not talk to anybody. And then you come up on the street level, and everything changes, right? Everything is different. So you go from majestic view to this smelly, I mean, you can smell the roasted nuts and the urine. You could smell it all, and there's sounds and visions and sights. There's another picture here that's going to come up here somewhere. It's not as beautiful. It's not as majestic. There's no candy sky. It's just kind of dirty, big buildings everywhere. Right, people screaming at each other and beeping, and it's pure chaos. So you go from view to perspective. Right, and if you could just put on a basic slide here at some point so we're not all distracted. That's what Genesis 1 is. Genesis 1 is this view, it's this majestic view. Genesis 2 is detailed perspective of humanity, of relationship between God and man and God and women. Let's go to Genesis 1 first. This is the view, not the TV show with the ladies, but the view of the scriptures. Praise God. Uh, In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. So God speaks, and there's existence, and there was light. And God saw that the light was, yes, this is going to be a theme. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called it light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. If you didn't catch it from the emphasis, God saw that it was good. Now get this, God is not surprised here. He didn't create it, and he's like, wow, that's good. God's making a point. This is an intelligent, powerful designer. This is an on-purpose designer. He's not self-surprised here. Like, sometimes, like for me, all it takes is I screw in a new light bulb, and I'm like, hey, bub, look at you. It's going to be a good day. You just, you're creating light. I mean, it's, you're a father, and you just screwed in. It's, you're amazing, right? That's all it takes for me. This is not God. This is a God who took a ball of nothing. He hovers over darkness and chaos, and with his mouth, he speaks order. With his breath, he speaks order. And so he's not self-surprised. He's making a point. The point is, I am good. What I create is good. God creates land. Then verse 10, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was skip around with me. He makes fruits and veggies, has the same reaction somehow. The earth brought forth, veg forth vegetation. I understand fruit, but vegetation, let's be honest. Plants, seeds according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was and all the vegans said you ain't a vegan. I, like, I, I, I planned on there being, like, two vegans in West Michigan. <laughs> By the way, let, let's give a shout-out to the vegans in West Michigan. Like, it's hard being a vegan in West Michigan, I'm sure. Like, as people wake up, they see a squirrel, and they're like, all right. You know? <laughs> I've been trying to get Mr. Squirrel for months. You know, it's like, relax, okay? I can't wait to kill this meat, okay? So it's hard being a vegan. So good for you. Stand up for yourself. I don't get it, but stand up for yourself. It's good. So he creates sun, moon, stars, verse 18, and God saw that it was, and if you aren't vegan, here's your passage. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to its kinds. Skip down a little bit. Everything according to its kinds, and God saw that it was yummy. I, th I think you're getting the point. We get to the creation of humans, right? Everything is good. Everything is good. Get to the creation of humans. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then crickets. No good. Now we know that humans are the crown of creation. We know that this whole book was created for us to be in relationship with us, to draw us into relationship. We know that he gives us dominion. So obviously, he loves us, and this was about us, uh, about him and us. And he adds at the end of all this that it was very good, just to add some sauce on top. Everything that he created was very good. But we have to figure out, why is he doing this? Why five times after the first one? He, he said, this is, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he, at the end of creation, very abruptly, says nothing about our creation. If you dream with me a little bit, 
God is a storyteller. He invented storytelling. If you've read through the scriptures, you know that God is a brilliant and beautiful storyteller. Uh, he's created this wonder in our mind as he tells stories through humans. What if he's telling a story? What if he's building up to something? What if, like any good storyteller, he's building up to a crescendo because he's really trying to make a point? Okay, remember, we got view. Now let's get some perspective in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to, of Eden to uh, work it and keep it. And, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you surely will die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So let's have it out here. God just made the point that everything was good. He says good. He's repetitious. He's a storyteller. He poetically and historically built the case that out of goodness himself comes good. Out of love himself comes a love story. And then abruptly before it's all over, before the creation account is all over, he says it is not good that man should be alone. Holy build-up, Batman, right? I mean, that thing is a build-up. He just waits and reserves this moment where he says it's not good that man should be alone. We need batteries. This is an intelligent architect, an intelligent designer who creates us with a void and then builds up this creation account to say, here's the void, here's what you need, you need batteries. Those batteries are specific relationships. And it's my account that we've probably been putting most of these batteries in backwards. Now, it's interesting that the first relationship that he creates is woman and marriage, right? But we know that that's not the point he's trying to make because two of the most important people of all time were not married, Jesus and Paul. So he's not saying that this is the relationship you must have, this is the need that I was building up to, he is saying you do need specific relationships. And here's the first example, a woman who is fit for him. So she's complementary in giftings, in love. Uh, she's complementary in emotional structure. She's going to help him be closer to God. He's going to help her be closer to God. They're going to be better together toward God. She's going to have this nurturing thing he's going to want to sit on the couch, right? He's going to love the garden. She's going to love different, a different part of the garden. And they're going, to, they're going to help the garden together, and the garden's going to flourish, and they're going to go on mission together. And that's going to, she's going to come out of his rib, so she's equal. She's right next to him. And this is the relationship where it goes from not good to so good. And so you're created to have intentional, specific relationships that draw you closer to Christ, that make you better on mission, that are helpful to your love, your grace, and the gospel that you spread. Batteries are intentional and they're specific. Let me talk about the problem really quick. As God whispers, I created you with this need, and I did this whole build-up thing on purpose— the culture is whispering, you don't need anything. Because if you need somebody, you're not American. 
If you need anybody, you're weak. That's what the culture whispers over and over again. Uh, the culture whispers you can be in control over your relationships. Just think about this, and I'm not hating on those of you who met online. That's like, I'm glad that you met. Praise God. But you can pick a mate in the same way you pick a lawnmower. Just scroll through, read the reviews, look at the pics, right? Again, if, you, if that's how you met, praise God. I'm just making a statement about where we're at as a culture. This is how we pick each other, and this is also how we cancel each other from behind the screen. These are not the relationships that God intended for us. These are not, social media is not the relationship that, that is the correct form of battery that you're looking for. Social media is you standing back having counterfeit relationships from behind a screen, picking and choosing the pieces of people that you want or don't want, and then by the end of it, you wonder why you still feel a crazy amount of emptiness and you feel envious and you feel jealousy, you feel strife, you get off from 45 minutes on Facebook and you're like, for some reason I don't feel better. The batteries are going in backwards. These are not the batteries that were meant for you. You're meant to be an intentional, messy, loving, complementary relationships. Specific relationships. Social media has helped us avoid healthy confrontation. And if we can't have healthy confrontation, we can have healthy relationships. Now you don't like somebody or what they say or their political view, cancel them. Cancel them. I didn't agree with someone once on, on Facebook, and they immediately canceled me in public. They threw my name up there, and they told me how they think I've sinned, how I'm this and how I'm that, and they blocked me, and everybody else started agreeing with them who didn't know me. I got canceled. I actually felt honored. I'm like, oh, that's what it feels like. Okay. I got canceled. That's pretty good. That's what we do. These are our relationships. The church, um, since, since I said it sometimes in these rooms where they're talking about where should the church go, people always ask, what about the church going more online? That's where the church should go because that's where the culture is going. Let's go online. Justin, what do you think? I think that's dumb. We've struggled for two decades of being a consumeristic religion as opposed to a deep relational uh, movement of Christ, and now we're going to make it more consumeristic. And you can go online and you can make it even cheaper and make it more shallow. And you don't have to see anybody and you don't have to be in any relationship, and you could just pick and choose and tap whatever type of sermon that you want, whatever type of discipleship relationship that you want to fake, you can choose it and pick it, and you can stay in your room in your PJs. I get it. I like my PJs. I'm a closet introvert. I like it. But this is not the way. If I could choose Mandalorian for a minute. The way is that we need specific, intentional, loving, messy relationships. And there's about six that we need that I could kind of frame out, but I'm just going to frame out three, and I'm going to frame out the most obvious ones, so at times you're going to feel like I didn't learn anything today, but that's okay. 
uh, because our, these are the most obvious ones, and I want to talk about the priority of these relationships. Uh, number one is that you need a relationship with God. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Glad I drove out here today. We're in a church. You open the Bible and tell me I need a relationship with God. Here's what I want to say about your relationship with God. It is what frames the rest of your relationships. So I want to emphasize the priority of your relationship with God because it is the reference point for all of your relationships. Let me show you back in creation how this is what this was all about in the first place. Let's go back to that, that verse uh, 126. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So Trinity. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens of the earth, livestock overall. So, so we're, we're priority. He creates us to have a relationship with the Father, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us. And a relationship with the Son. the Son. The Son shows us how to live. And we need to be like Jesus. We need to be in a relationship with Jesus. So the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're created in that image. Right? To have a relationship with all the persons of God. Three in one. This whole thing was about being in relationship with God. This is our priority. You may say, well, that's obvious, but at the same time, I see you grinding for that marriage. It's good to grind for your marriage, but you don't have a reference point if your first and most prioritized relationship isn't God himself. You don't know, you don't know how to sacrifice for her like Christ sacrificed for the church. Same chapter, you don't know how to wash her in the water of the word if you don't prioritize God first. Your relationships do go in priority, right? I love my wife better. I serve her better than my kids. That's a priority to me. Because if we don't connect well, if we're not communicating well, if we're not loving each other well, if we're not intimate, if we're not passionate, you, can better, you better believe that it doesn't matter what my parenthood looks like. Because that's going to fall apart. Therefore, my parenthood's going to fall apart. Therefore, we're going to be disconnected and we're going to be outnumbered. Because that's all they want to do. Let's go outnumber mommy and daddy. No, nope, I stand with mommy. Mommy said to drive the car. I still stand with her. I don't know why. You're five years old. But here we go. I got her back. That's my first relationship. Why? Because it cascades down to my other relationships. This is your relationship with God. It cascades down into the rest of your relationships. So if you don't prioritize it, you ain't spend time with Jesus in, in months, you don't know how to love your wife or your husband. You don't know how to love your kids. You're not reading the scriptures. You have no framework for how to love people. You want to be a great friend, it's a good goal. But you will not accomplish it in the same way you will if you prioritize your relationship with Jesus first. He is to be the most intimate and prioritized relationship in your life. And then everything else will fall into place. I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm just saying everything else, it'll cascade down. The power, the joy, the maturity, the spiritual maturity, it'll cascade down into the rest of your relationships with uh, that, that, that God has put into your life. Uh, it's kind of like, because, I, because I, fl I, I hate flying. I know some of you guys don't fly that much. Trust me, when you fly a lot, you start to hate it quickly. Like you're like, I fly once a year. That's great. Yeah, okay, that's all romantic, and you look out the window. I hate looking out the window. I get sick. It's just the worst. I hate, 
you're putting on a mask, you're next to people who smell, and they're like, hey, you want to talk? And you're like, no. But I guess I'm supposed to share Jesus with you. Fine. I'll open my Bible and look like I'm a good Christian. Like, it's the worst. I hate flying. First thing I do, because every airport is different, is, you know, I mean, like, Kansas City's stupid. Detroit's kind of great, actually. Chicago's kind of great. Atlanta, you always see a celebrity. Uh, but every airport, LaGuardia is a dump. But every airport I go to, the first thing I do is I find a map. Right? You may, I know you're West Michigan men. You're like, I drive a truck. Yeah, I don't need a map. Okay, relax. Great. We're all happy for you. I need a map. So I go find a map. The first thing I look for on the map is what? You're here. This is where you are. Because if Annie Ann's is somewhere over here, I don't know how to get there. Because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that pretzel with the cinnamon on top. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm looking for that pretzel. I don't know how to get to Annie if I don't have my reference point. A little pin drop. I don't have my reference point. That's your relationship with Jesus. So that's why I state the obvious. It is your reference point for literally every relationship in your life. If it is good, if it is mature, if it is intimate, so will the rest of these relationships. It'll be hard and messy, but these, these relationships will, will come next. Next is your relationship with the church. A relationship with the church. Again, kind of obvious, uh, but Jesus, again, makes this obvious. He calls the church his bride, so he put a ring on that finger. All right? He calls the church his body. That's how important the church is to him. We are his hands, his feet, his legs, his fingers, and he has told us you cannot disconnect from the body. So, because the body is the hope of the world, this is God's plan to change the world, the church, whether you like it or not, it is spiritually immature, it could be even heretical to say you don't need the church. But the pandemic, and Satan using the pandemic, has told us, do we even really need the church? Again, I can consume online. Those, messages, or those relationships are messy. They're kind of annoying at times. I don't want to have confrontation. I don't want to serve. I don't want to have to be in children's ministry. I just kind of want to receive. And I can receive in my PJs. So the pandemic has told us, and we've fallen in love with the idea, like maybe I don't need the church. And it's selfish, and it's spiritually immature, and it's biblically immature. God has told us, this is my bride, this is my body. You need to have a relationship with the church, a growing relationship with the church, where you grow every year, where you're more into the message, where you're taking more notes, where you're in a small group, and where you're going deeper with your small group, where you're serving at every 12th, where you go from being a part of every 12th and kind of standing back to, I want to pick a place for every 12th. I want to be a part of this thing. You should be grow in a growing relationship with the church. You should be becoming a leader, starting to disciple people, starting to raise up people, and that should be your growing relationship with the church. Attendance means, like, it's good. Okay, I'm not saying attendance, but I'm saying what's the growing part of your relationship with the church? Uh, last but not least, multiple di discipleship relationships. This is confusing. Uh, I, I rewrote it this morning. I'm like, it's still confusing. Multiple discipleship relationships with different trajectory. All right, I know Jim talks about discipleship all the time, so I don't, I don't need to belabor that point. 
but we were created. This is the one thing Jesus told us to do on the way out. Make disciples. Okay? So we're created to make disciples. I'm sure Jim has beaten this because I know him. So I'm not going to beat it too much anymore. But I am going to emphasize you just need three or four relationships. Maybe this will make it simpler for you. You just need three or four relationships with different trajectory. You don't need a billion. You don't need 12 like Jesus. You don't even need your relationships to look. Uh, this is what we do in the church. We're like, you gotta, your relationships have to look like Jesus. You have to disciple like Jesus. Jesus traveled with these fools for three years. You will not get to travel with someone for three years. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry, Jesus, for calling the disciples fools. You did kind of a couple times, though. We'll work it out. All right. <laughs> You're not going to get that type of discipleship. You, got, you, got, you have a life. You have a job. Hopefully these people are in proximity. Hopefully they're at your job. Hopefully they're at the places that you, they're in your social circles. But you simply need three to four relationships with different trajectory. What I mean by trajectory is we often look for people's gifting instead of their trajectory. So gifting is, wow, they have cool polarizing things about them. They can communicate well. They're funny. People like them, and I don't have that. So I want to follow them. That's gifting. You want trajectory. Trajectory is these people have a really steep relationship with Christ. They are climbing toward Christ every day. They're humble. They love people. They're really good parents. They're really good spouses. Uh, they're really good single folk. They're not the single folk who are out there trying to get all that attention online. They're not, you know, they're, they're not like in their bathroom like, hey, what's up? What, whatever it is, I don't know. I, I didn't write that down clearly. <laughs> If I did, I would have erased it and been like, no, don't say that. <laughs> okay. But these people have different trajectory than you. You see that they're, they're just, they're humble beasts, man. They're going toward Christ all the time. And that's what you want. They may not have polarizing gifts. That doesn't matter. No one may know them. That doesn't matter. They may not be the life of a party. Doesn't matter. Do you want to be like them as they grow toward Christ? Pick them and just ask them to be in your life. Ask them for support. Ask them for love. Put yourself out there. Other way. Other way. Someone is behind you in trajectory. And you could tell by their spiritual maturity, their biblical maturity. Bring them with you. Pour into somebody. The movement of Christ happens through discipleship relationships. So if you're not bringing anybody with you, you're stopping the movement of Christ. It's stopping with you. You're saying, somebody pour into me, but I don't plan on pouring into anybody. The, the movement is stopping. You're supposed to get better at this every year. Now you got two people following you. Now you got four. Maybe that's all you can handle. That's good. Like who, who has different trajectory than you? And then who's next to you? Who's, so here's how we frame it in, in, in our circles. It's Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. Do you have a Paul, someone who's above you? Do you have a Timothy, someone who's over here? And do you have a Barnabas, someone right next to you, who's just chasing the same things you are? Those people give you life. Man, those people just, they, they, they joke the same way you do. They live for Christ the same way you do. Whenever you're around them, you just want, 
you want more of Christ and, and you have fun and you're filled and, and, and you want to be a better husband, you want to be a better wife, whenever you're around them, you just grow. Like Jim is one of my Barnabases. We're right next to each other. We're running toward the same thing. You need some Barnabases. That was Paul, you know, Bar anyways, you got it. Who are these people? Some of you are wondering why you're not growing in Christ, why you're lonely, why you're depressed, why you're broken. And it's probably because you need batteries. I'm not saying that's the definite answer, but I'm saying it's an answer. So who are these people in your life? I know this is a super practical message. We're not going to end on some big crescendo where I just want you to think through who are these people. And if you don't have these people, let's take a moment to close our eyes. If you don't have these people, God, who are these people? Can you bring to our minds, can you bring to our consciences who these people are? If we're not making disciples, would you convict us? If we're not being discipled, would you convict us? If we don't have life because of these life-giving relationships that we were supposed to have, if we don't have these batteries, would you convict us? And I know you're a good Holy Spirit. You won't call us out in front of everybody but you're going to put those people on our heart and mind right now. <clears throat> you're going to tell us who, you know, who we need in our life, who we need to step up with. You're going to tell us who to take a risk with. Or you're going to tell us, hey, you don't have any of these relationships, and this is why you're broken. This is why you're lonely. This is why you're depressed. This is why you're tired. And so we pray that you would bring those people to mind right now. We love you, Jesus. We, we thank you that you're gentle, that your burden is light, and that you speak life into us. I pray that this message was life into our bones. I pray that these relationships will be life into our bones. And we thank you that you gave us batteries. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.